Morning. I was not a Girl Scout. Just want to make sure that was clear. Well, today is Palm Sunday, and I appreciate the opportunity to come back here and share from God's Word. Thanks, Dave, for inviting me. Thanks for having me back. I know I've been here, haven't been here for a long time because I didn't have a name tag. Imagine that. I had to write one out. Imagine that. Well, today is Palm Sunday. You probably know a little about Palm Sunday, but for those who don't know anything about it, where does Palm Sunday come from? Well, it comes from um, an incident in the life of Jesus. And Jesus was journeying back to Jerusalem. Five days before he was crucified, he's coming over this ridge, and a bunch of people were following him. When they saw Jesus, they grabbed branches and started putting them on the ground. And Jesus happened to be sitting on a donkey, and he was going there. And what they were doing was they were welcoming him as a king. And sometimes they call this the triumphal entry. You can look at Mark chapter uh, 11, verse 9 on. And the crowds were welcoming Jesus as a king, and they were saying this, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Welcoming a king. This king's name is Jesus. Now, when we think of Jesus... Sometimes we don't think of Jesus as a king. I know we sing about it, but sometimes we don't understand the ramifications of Jesus being king because here in America, do we have a king? No, we don't. We elect our highest official. In fact, there's an election coming up. It's a historical election, and I better not talk about that. We better move on. (laughs) You know, what's hard to believe is that Christianity is all about a king and his kingdom, a king and his kingdom. And so in the next 30 minutes, I'm going to try to explain to you what that means. So I I think it's best just to pray and ask the Lord to teach us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for giving us this privilege of coming together, worshiping you. Thank you, Father, for, for gifting certain individuals to lead us in singing praises to you. Thank you for giving us voices to sing, for hearts that, are able to choose to worship you. We thank you now for the privilege of hearing your word speak through your servant and speak to my brothers and sisters through your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hard to believe Christianity. Another way of looking at it, it's all about a king and a kingdom. And it's a little hard for us to grasp it because we don't live in a government style that has a king. And so what I'd like to do is try to help us understand a little more about what does it mean that we have a king and we live as citizens in a kingdom. Of course, what I'm talking about is the kingdom of heaven. And so we're going to look at that. But before we look at that, I want to look at a picture of Jesus. You see, there's a lot of different ways to look at Jesus. Sometimes people look at him as a a bud. You know, when I have difficulties, I can turn to him. He's my best friend. He's a counselor that understands all my problems. Jesus, when I'm down and out, he lifts me up. But we don't often think of Jesus realistically as a king. But yet from the beginning of his life to the end, 
it was proclaimed that Jesus would be a king. From the very beginning, the baby Jesus was said to be a king. Remember these wise men, often called magi from the east, they came. When they saw Jesus, they said, where is he? When they were looking for him, they went to a king and they asked this question. Where is he? Or where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Interesting, when Jesus started his ministry, and another guy, John the Baptist, was preparing the way for Jesus, what was their message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if you look at a passage, there was a message from an angel to Mary talking about the same idea, that this child, this baby Jesus, he's going to be a king, the king of the Jews. So this concept of Jesus as a king, it's from the beginning. Now you fast forward to the end of Jesus' life. Same idea. Jesus appearing before Pilate. They were standing there. If you want to turn in your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. I tell you what page number it's on, but my Bible is different than your Bible. On my Bible, it's page 1,131. Unless you have the exact same one, it's going to be on a different page. Matthew 27. Now, Jesus was arrested, and he was appearing before different people. And one time, he appeared before the governor, whose name was Pilate. Look at verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And look at Jesus' response. Yes, it is. As you say, affirming the fact that Jesus himself, his view of himself was that I'm a king. And remember the sign that was posted above his head on the cross? What did it say? This is Jesus, king of the Jews. So if we're real followers of Jesus Christ, and we really want to understand what it means to be a Christian today, we best understand what king means. And Jesus is king. But we also best understand what being in his kingdom means. So a king in his kingdom. These are two concepts we better get a grasp on if we're going to be good followers of Jesus Christ. So let's look, first of all, at a king. And I can't cover it all of it. What I'm going to do is highlight a few things about the king and the kingdom. Let's look at the first point, the king. You see, because we elect our state officials, this idea of king is a little hard for us to understand. But think about this. If the United States governmental system was a monarchy and we had a king, what would be different here in the United States? If we had a king, how would that be different for us? Now, here's a few things I thought of. We wouldn't have an election for a president because we have a king. So no election. No representation because it's not a democracy. If we had a king here, we would be called subjects. We'd be under somebody somebody else's authority. And that's simply un-American, right? Isn't it? We don't like somebody else to tell us what to do. We love our freedom. We love our independence. We don't want somebody else telling us what to do. That's just simply un-American. 
If we had a king, the king wouldn't be the butt of all kinds of jokes. I was watching a comedy one time, and they kept on showing this one film clip. And this one film clip was of President Bush trying to open a door that wouldn't open. Have you seen that one? I don't know, he was someplace, and they just kept on showing. And he looked kind of stupid, huh? I don't know if you saw his expression. Uh, open the door. If we had a king and our country was really a monarchy, I don't think we'd be seeing that on TV. I was watching another uh, comedy show, and uh, they were in the presidential suite, and they were having a, a big official dinner. And I think they were entertaining some queen from another country. And they were showing a lot of placemats and how they used the finest china during this dinner. And they are showing all these placemats. And then they come to President Bush's placemat. Now, what did that placemat look like? Well, it had SpongeBob on it. I go, oh, that's kind of interesting. I didn't know he liked SpongeBob. I don't even know who the guy is. Do you guys know what it is? Okay. Those who have kids probably know. Would they do that in North Korea? Would they do that in most countries that have a king? You see, we, we really don't grasp and understand what it means to have a king, a ruler, somebody with all authority. We'd have less satire and criticism or minimal criticism of our authority. And there'd be greater respect if we lived in a monarchy. So having a king, what does that mean? Well, a king has the final authority. When you have a king in a country, there's nobody above him in the kingdom. His laws are the law of the land. Now, true, he works with counselors and people, but when a king sets down law, that's the law of the land. His orders are to be carried out. And so if you think of Jesus as a king, he's the final authority in his kingdom. His laws are the law of his kingdom. He has a final authority. His ways and orders, they're to be obeyed. And if we're citizens of this kingdom where Jesus is king, that means we're his subjects. You want to be a subject? You want to be somebody that doesn't have all freedom to do whatever you want? You see, when you chose to follow Jesus... And if Jesus is your king, you're subjecting yourself to his authority. We'll come back to that again. Jesus as king. We have a king. His name is Jesus. What qualifies him to be king? Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We sang a song, and a lot of that song was based on this passage in Colossians. Now, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be starting a whole series on Colossians here at both NBC and at Valley Church. And fortunately, or unfortunately, if you want to look at it, you get to hear me preach on this Colossians again. But look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 to 17. Let me just highlight it. Because it really talks about who Jesus is. It describes him. And because of who he is, that's why he's qualified to be king. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 on. I'll read just a, a few things. For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son, 
that he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is ascribed like this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What a description. I mean, it goes beyond comprehension to think of who this Jesus is. He's the image of the invisible God. All things hold together through him. He is the creator. This qualifies him to be the king. For he's God. He's God's son. On Friday, I was talking to a a guy. I was doing some follow-up with a guy who helps me with the international students. And we have an international student ministry on Friday night. And so I was doing some follow-up with him, and I was trying to explain to him about communications. And so I was telling him that when somebody communicates with somebody else, say A is trying to talk to B, A speaks. What he says goes through this filter. Now, this filter is his personal experience, his background, his personality, his culture, his society, everything. And so in communication, when somebody speaks, he says something. It goes through this filter of who he is and everything about him. So it passes through this grid. And it goes to B. But when B hears it, before he hears it, it goes through this other grid. The grid of experience, the grid of personality, society, culture, language, and everything like that. Before it gets this person's ear. Okay, so A speaks to B, but before that, it goes through two filters. And I was trying to explain to him that, uh, so when you talk to somebody, try to understand the other person's grid as well as your own so that you can have better communication. Pretty simple, right? Actually, I was trying to help this guy so later on when he starts a date and maybe get married, he wouldn't have marriage problems. So, so I was just trying to say, hey, understand your wife is grid. So when you talk, you can talk better with her. And so I'm talking to him. This is on Friday night, and all of a sudden, these international students come and sit down and start talking with us. So then I end up having to explain communications all over again. That, you know, when you talk, and one day when you have a girlfriend, you best understand your girlfriend's grid so that you can have better communication with her. And they are listening real intently. And as I was talking to them, this thought came to my mind. Boy, it's better and it's, it's best if these two grids are as alike as possible for better communication. And, it, and it just like the Holy Spirit was just telling me, share with them a little. Because these international students are not Christians. And then I thought of this. Isn't that what Jesus coming down from heaven and becoming a man to communicate to us? Isn't that what it's about? So these two grids are closer. And then I started sharing with them this concept. That it's hard to, for us to communicate with God. He's so big. But somehow God can come down to us and communicate to us much easier. That's what Christianity is all about. And I started seeing them and talking to them and sharing this. And they go, oh, yeah, hey, that's interesting. Now, none of them received Christ right then and there. But at least they heard it and understood it. You see, the king is, was God came down to earth 
and dwelt among us. So he can communicate with us as well as save us and establish his kingdom. The king, he's qualified because he's the creator, because he's God. What about his kingdom? You see, if Jesus is king, that means he has a kingdom that he rules over. Interesting, though, that the biblical idea of king and kingdom doesn't emphasize the place. It doesn't emphasize location. But rather, the idea of king and kingdom in the Bible emphasizes his power and his rule. So when it talks about a king, it's not talking about a place. It's not talking about geographic location. It's talking about the fact that he has power to rule and he has authority. So when you think of kingdom, when you think of king, don't think of a geographical area, such as a holy land or the temple. When you think of Jesus as king of kings, and you think of his kingdom, don't think of a political entity like the nation of Israel or the Sanhedrin. Don't think of Democrats or Republicans. He's way above and beyond this. When you think of Jesus as king of kings, don't even think of a group of people. A group of people such as the nation of Israel, or the disciples even, or of the church. Sorry, NBC is not the kingdom of God. It's way above. It's way beyond. So if the kingdom of God isn't geographical area, political entity, or group of people, what does it mean that Jesus is king? What's his realm that he is king over? Let's look at the realm of his kingship. So the idea of king is that he rules sovereignly, that he's the final authority. In a way, the realm of his kingdom is the whole universe. When you think of God... In a way, he's king over the entire universe. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, 17. We just looked at that, that he created all things. And if he's creator of all things, then he's the ruler over all things. So in one sense, God is the king over all, all the universe and everything in it. Two passages you can write down. Daniel chapter 2, verse, 10 to, verse 20 to 21. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 to 35, it talks about his dominion being an everlasting dominion. It talks about God being the one who brings down kings and establishes kings. It talks about God being the one who does whatever he wishes in heaven and earth. And no one can say to him, hey, what gives? Because he is the king over the entire universe. So that's one thing to think about. When you think about the kingdom of God, think about the entire universe. He's king overall. But there is a sense that in this world today, the world is under another's influence or domination. The world's under another's influence or domination. Because sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, another force that was hostile to God took over and influenced this world. And I'm not going to go back all over Genesis chapter 2 and 3, but realize that our world isn't the way it's supposed to be. There's a hostile force 
another kingdom that has invaded God's kingdom and took over and influenced it. Now, even though God ultimately rules an entire universe, in the meantime, there's another force influencing it, a force that's hostile to God. We call this the kingdom of Satan or Satan's rule. He's invaded the world and it's under his reign for the time being. Now, this doesn't mean that God doesn't act in the affairs of the world. In a way, this is the way I like to think of it, so I say that's my view of it. It's like, yes, God's supreme over the whole world, but in the meantime, an invading force has taken over a lot of it. Yes, he's still sovereign, but in the meantime, this world is influenced by hostile forces. Does this mean that God isn't still in charge? It still is. But in the meantime, there's an invading force. I like to think of it this way. God is acting. And in a way, he's still restraining these forces of the devil. Because if it wasn't restraining it, you can also say all hell would break loose. So God is still in charge. But in the meantime, there's an invading force kind of occupying this land we call our planet Earth. Yet, there is a sense that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember what Jesus said? When he came, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is near, is present, has arrived. So even though the king rules the whole universe, there's a force that is occupying it. But in this force, the kingdom of heaven has come and invaded it. Look back at slide number eight. Can you go back to slide eight for a second? Slide number eight. It goes back to Colossians. Uh, One more back. Slide seven then. Uh, One back before this. Okay. In that Colossians passage... Verse 13, it says this, For it has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. So in a way, this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, has come back into this world and is growing and developing. And people are being rescued from under this evil force, hostile to God's dominion, and brought into a new kingdom. This kingdom is called the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. And so when Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means God is coming back to influence and make a greater influence in this world. It's supernatural. It's a spiritual kingdom. And this kingdom is here present with us today. And though it's limited more to us as those who put our faith in Jesus, nonetheless, it is as real as any other kingdom. So the kingdom of God today is the rule of God which he exerts over human lives, over us who are surrendering to his lordship. So what's the kingdom of God today? It's here present with us. When we put our faith in Jesus, we enter into that kingdom. John chapter 3, Jesus was talking to this religious leader called Nicodemus. And Nicodemus saying, how can I enter into... 
the kingdom of heaven. Jesus answered, you need to be born again. You need to be born anew. You need to be born of water and spirit. When you are born again, you are part of that new kingdom that is breaking in to this world. This is the kingdom of heaven. Entrance into this kingdom is by personal faith, believing, trusting in Jesus. When you do that, you become part of the citizen of heaven. Here's a good passage, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and verse 10. It says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Go to slide number 13. Entering his kingdom, it's by personal faith. Go to the next one. Next slide. But you are a royal, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you had received mercy. There's a contrast in this passage. And the contrast is this. Once you were like this, not a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You were in darkness. You were under somebody else's power. You were part of another kingdom. Now he's taken you out of that and brought you into a new kingdom. Another kingdom. A kingdom of heaven. God's kingdom. A citizen of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The kingdom's open for all to come in. The king, the king's kingdom. Let's look at another description of the kingdom and look beyond. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. See, I'm not sure if I can do total justice to this idea of the kingdom of heaven. Because when I was looking at it, I was just blown away. It's so, in one sense, hard to totally comprehend. But on the other hand, just as real as reality can be. And maybe I can't sense it totally with my eyes to see it, to smell it, to taste it, to put my hand on it, to hear it directly. Nonetheless, the kingdom of heaven is real. Because that's what Jesus talked about. When he came, he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's it like? And when Jesus tried to explain what the kingdom of heaven is like, he didn't say it in like, it's like this, 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 and this. He used parables. Parables are are kind of like analogies to explain something. He used it to explain what the kingdom of heaven is like. And look at this. Chapter 13 is a bunch of parables. And these parables are explaining what the kingdom of heaven is like. He says the kingdom has come. But the kingdom is like a guy who goes out planting seeds. As he's planting seeds, they fall down. Now some of the seeds grow. Some of the seeds don't. It depends on the reception of it. 
of whether it grows and be fruitful or not. That's a description of the kingdom. Interesting, the kingdom of heaven, it didn't come with like power. It didn't come with like wham, and everybody just falls down on their knees and bows down. The kingdom of heaven, it comes kind of subtly, kind of uh, unnoticeably. Nonetheless, it grows. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's kind of like how Jesus came into Jerusalem. He didn't come on a big black stallion, you know, hey, I'm the conquering king. Instead, the triumphal entry pictures Jesus sitting on a donkey going into Jerusalem. That's also a picture of the kingdom and how it comes. Kind of subtly. Not with a lot of power. But yes, with power. Except that the power is in evidence. It's like a sower sowing seeds. The kingdom of heaven is like a seed. Like a little mustard seed. Real small, real tiny. But it grows. And it grows and it grows. And it grows to such an extent that it becomes a massive bush. Large enough for all the creatures, God's creatures, to dwell in. That's another illustration of the kingdom of heaven. He says the kingdom of heaven is like yeast or like leaven. You can't see it. Nonetheless, it's still there. And its impact, just like a little leaven in a lump of dough, influences the whole leaven, influences the whole dough, so the kingdom of heaven is going to grow and influence the whole world. You can't stop it. It's just going to have worldwide impact. I heard a guy who was a great-grandson of the modern founder of China. He's a descendant of Sun Yat-sen. And he was sharing with us, and he was saying these statistics. In 1940s, mid-40s, all the missionaries in China were kicked out. There were only about 400,000 Christians at the time. Fast forward over 50 years later, there's 120 million Christians, they estimate, in China. And this is after all the missionaries are kicked out. That's leaven. That's the kingdom of heaven. You can't stop it. And maybe you don't see it growing. Nonetheless, it grows and expands and its impact and influence continues. Remember this world, like I said earlier, is under hostile forces. But we don't need to worry or fret about these hostile forces because God is at work. His kingdom is expanding just like yeast will impact the whole world. This kingdom of heaven, it's also priceless. It's like a treasure. It's like a pearl merchant. They sell everything to buy this. Because the kingdom of heaven, it's very precious. Priceless. Kingdom of heaven, can we judge who enters the kingdom of heaven and who doesn't? Kingdom of heaven, it's like a fishnet where you catch good and bad fish, but you don't know. At the end, somebody else is going to choose what is good fish and what is bad fish. Kingdom of heaven, it's like a king inviting people to a marriage feast. Matthew 22, verse 2. Some people are too busy to come to the wedding feast. They're not part of the kingdom. Some people come to the wedding feast improperly dressed. They're kicked out of the marriage feast. Some are prepared. 
They're citizens of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven. You can't stop it. It's growing and continues to grow. And maybe we don't see it growing. Nonetheless, it does. Here's an interesting thing about the kingdom of heaven. We can't build the kingdom of heaven. We can participate in it. We can spread the seeds. But the supernatural kingdom that God causes to grow. We can participate in it. We can be part of it. But we can't influence anybody else. We can't bring anybody else into the kingdom. We can influence people into the kingdom. We can share with them. We can do the hunt. We can pass out flyers. We can invite people. The one who brings people into the kingdom, though, is God himself. He's just given us a privilege to participate in it. Description of the kingdom. Read the parables sometimes. It is an incredible description of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven. Let's look at the description of citizens of it. Because if we're citizens of the kingdom, what is expected of us? Look over to Matthew chapter 5 to 7. A description of a king of a kingdom subject. Interesting in this passage, it's a rather long one, three chapters, but there's an incredible description of since we have been taken out of this hostile kingdom of darkness and are brought into this new kingdom, how should we then live? And what he's giving us is the description of Citizens of the kingdom of heaven. It's not that we should, but he says, this is the way we will live our lives. Look at this description. As citizens of the kingdom, we're poor in spirit. We mourn. We're meek. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're merciful. We're pure in heart. We're peacemakers. We're also persecuted. As citizens of the kingdom, we're salt of the earth. We're light of the world. As kingdom, as kingdom citizens, our values are like this. We don't hate. We don't lust. We don't swear or make false vows. We turn the other cheek. We love our neighbors as ourselves. We don't take vengeance. We follow a king of kings and a lord of lords. Read the Sermon on the Mount sometime, but read it in a different way. Read it as a description of you, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, because that's what we are. We have a king. His name is Jesus. We put our faith in him. We become citizens of the kingdom. That's you and I. This is a description of us as citizens of the kingdom of how we are to live. Description of this kingdom. Description of kingdom subjects. There's also a future kingdom. Because this kingdom today, the kingdom of heaven, is a spiritual kingdom where Christ rules in our hearts. But there's also a future kingdom that is coming. Back in the Old Testament, it was spoken about that God's kingdom will be here on earth. It will be established where it's not just spiritually, but it's also physically. 
That's in the future. And Jesus says, I'm going to come back and establish that kingdom. Uh, Revelation 21.1. You can turn to that. It's in the back of your Bibles. Revelation chapter 21. Gives you a little glimpse of this future kingdom. Verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, come down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband, and you can read on and on. It's just a description that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. The hostile forces that presently influence this world is going to be wiped away. A new heaven and a new earth are going to come. That's the future kingdom that we look forward to and that we're part of. Second Peter 2, 3, 10 to 13. You can look at it. It describes the process. describes what's going to happen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, another passage. It also talks about that. Let me fast forward. I've talked about a king. I've talked about a kingdom. When we put our faith in Jesus, we enter into this new kingdom and we become citizens of this kingdom of heaven. Here's my problem, though. Yes, I'm part of this kingdom of heaven. But I still live in this world. And ergo is the challenge for us. Because in a way, we live in two cultures, two kingdoms at the same time. Because we still live in this present world. And that we're citizens of heaven. We still sojourn or live or work or raise kids in the world. And there's a tug. And that's a challenge for us to live like this. Matthew 5 to 7. In a world that has values that are very different than described in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a challenge. It's a tuggle. A struggle. It's also a battle, a spiritual battle. Our challenge is to continue to have heaven focus, to understand that we live in a higher plane than just in this world, to remind ourselves that we are citizens of the kingdom. You see, we're programmed to rely on our senses. We're programmed to Think of reality as what we see, feel, touch, smell, hear. We need to have spiritual eyes and ears that are tuned more to the kingdom. You see, the kingdom is a reality. We might not see it with our physical senses, but with our spiritual senses, we can grab hold of it because it is as real as reality can be. How do we do that? Let me give you, as citizens, some things that you can do to help you along. Number one, seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That means sometimes we need to pray and ask the Lord to change our hearts. Sometimes we have to ask the Lord, Lord, I want to seek your kingdom more. I just don't know how to do it. Ask him to help you. Ask him to change your desires, that your desires become his desires. Pray 
and seek first his kingdom. Something else you can do, repent and believe that the kingdom does exist. Repent that you don't make him your king all the time. Put your faith again at Put your faith again in Him who is your King. Something else you can do? Read up on the kingdom. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Read these parables about the kingdom and understand it and live it out. Repent and believe and read. Here's something else that Jesus Himself tells us to do. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray for his kingdom to come. Remember, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but not fully here yet. We look forward to a future when it will come in all its fullness. Pray for that to come. Something else? And be ready when the kingdom does come. Because it is coming. It's a fact. We best be ready and best be alert. Let me close with this. The kingdom of heaven, it is true. It's a reality. We can bank on it. It's applicable for us today. It's not news to you that you and I, we're getting older. And one day, we're going to pass away. Last week, I was um, called at Valley Church, and a couple of us went to go visit somebody And this person was a 49er, not the football team, 49er. He served the Lord faithfully at Valley Church for 49 years, one year short of 50 years. He was a 49er. We got a call at church saying uh, that the doctors felt like he's not going to be around much longer, so please go see him. And so we went to him and visited him. We were talking to him. And you know what his last words to me were? You're a funny guy, Dennis. What's with that? You see, we prayed for him, and, and, and we asked him to pray for us, and we asked him to pray for the hunt. And I don't know why sometimes I say the dumbest things. I say, hey, maybe when you're better, you can dress as the bunny, you know, in a bunny costume. And then he says, oh, you're a funny guy, Dennis. One thing that really struck me when we went to visit this dear brother, this saint of ours, he had peace. I mean, he's staring death in the face. He's wearing a mask. He can't breathe on his own. And even though he has a lot of labor breathing, I saw that there was a peace about him. He wasn't worried. He wasn't scared. He had this peace and confidence about him. Because he had confidence in his king. He was confident that he was a citizen of the kingdom. He knew where he was going to spend eternity. And I walked out of there thinking, man, I pray that I'd have that same confidence when I'm staring death face to face. That's him. His wife, same thing. There was this peace and joy about them. They knew they were citizens of the kingdom but they also knew they're going to spend eternity with the king forever and ever. Do you have that confidence? Jesus is our king. We're citizens of the kingdom. The kingdom will come. That's a confidence that we have. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you that
you're more than qualified to be the king. And sometimes we don't keep you on the throne of our life that you deserve. Father, help us to know how to do that. And I pray that we'd have the confidence that when things go wrong, things don't happen the way they should, that we still have the confidence that you have all things under control. Thank you, Lord, for again reminding us of your kingdom and the fact that you are our God. We thank you uh, again for your message to my brothers and sisters. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.